I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 297. By the time y'all are hearing this, if you're in the States, your belly's full, you just had Thanksgiving, Black Friday, today's Cyber Monday. What are we buying? Probably nothing. An espresso machine. Are you? I really want to. I don't know. I really may buy uh, recliners. <laughs> what are we buying? Nothing. Also, very expensive things. <laughs> it depends. If that place comes off that price, y'all know I was real pissed last time. Yeah. If they come down on that price. I mean, we have to record too, so I'm not going to be doing a lot of shopping, but. <laughs> yeah, but I really want an espresso machine. Remember, I talked about it like mm-hmm. forever ago, but I need coffee and I want espresso. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I like more so I can put like my protein shake in it and stuff like that and i've been watching like to see what prices are the best what you know whatever so i've been working my overtime and i've been like that like i'm gonna try like that'll be my christmas gift you know to myself um something though that y'all might not know love island australia is back oh look i'm so surprised you didn't watch the bachelor golden what oh you don't like old people never mind Well, you know, I was in my daddy era for a while, but now I've been going younger, so I don't know. But yeah. um <laughs> younger. <laughs> but now I used to watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but I haven't watched those in like since my mom was alive. I never really got into those. I think it's because people hooking up makes me so uncomfortable. That it does. Like it really and truly does. Like even on Big Brother and stuff, when they start developing showmances, I'm like, ugh, the worst. Yeah, you got intimacy issues. (laughs) Um, Also, you hate people, so... Touche. Yeah. Yeah, I fast-forward through stories. Don't care about your life. (laughs) Like, I care, but I don't care. I was trying to show her, like, we rate dogs on TikTok. One of my favorite things, every Friday they rate dogs. And I was showing her this. She was like, you know, you can fast forward. I was like, it's a sad and sweet story. Like, you're missing the whole, like, emotion of it. Mm-mm, fast forwarded it. I'm telling y'all. Hey, I listened to the whole thing. I just listened to it faster. With TV, you fast forward, you can't hear. Uh-huh. So I just skip over the story completely. Yeah. I mean, like, how does she have a husband and I don't? You get bogged down in the minutiae. I guess so. I'm sorry, I care too much. And then go Donna on them. Hey, I haven't done that in a long time. She hadn't talked to a guy in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Besides the one guy who randomly added you on Snapchat. I'm going to a few. Okay. That I've still kept, you know. God, why? Okay, so like, what's the plan? Like, do you, are you meeting them? He lives like an hour away. Yeah. And our schedules just don't match up right now. So we're hoping that it gets better. Is it going to? Because your schedule is literally not going to change. No. Well, his will. That's mm, the thing. Okay. How long have y'all been talking? If it's that long, it's time to move on. If you've been talking that long and haven't met, it's time to move on. Well, You're never going to meet. No, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. but Because you really don't want to meet him? No, I do. Mm-hmm. See, you think you know me, but sometimes you really don't. But sometimes you say that you want to meet these people, but you don't. So you don't. I haven't done that in a long time either. I've pretty much cut these people off. Oh my God. You can't tell me a time. Literally everybody. No. <laughs> See, this is our literally everybody. God bless. <laughs> uh, if y'all, hey, she's, she's in an annoyed mood, y'all. I am, but she, if you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and you were caught up right now, she just gave me Sutton vibes when Sutton goes, name them with her like Georgia accent. Like p- some people were like, I literally thought she was speaking another language. She was saying, <laughs> name them. And she goes, name them. 
name them. Like did it like five times in a row because Kyle was like, you literally always do this. And she's like, name a time, you know? Yeah. You literally just Kyle. gave me sudden vibes. <laughs> I know you so well. This is what you always do. Not in a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is us arguing. Because <laughs> no, I came in and arguing. she was like, I hate everything. I'm tired. And Colby <laughs> said, good luck. And here we are. Colby said, it's been rough. <laughs> <laughs> so just y'all know. Oh, Lord. Carrie's a Grinch around the holidays, apparently. <laughs> no, I just like to beat him. <laughs> That was so good. <laughs> oh, God. That was literally like the worst Grinch ever. Donnie's like, bravo, bravo. Why do you always have to make fun of me for hyping you up, man? I, know, I love it. Do you? You're literally why I have any self-esteem at all. <laughs> and then she just tears me down. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, back to Love Island. <laughs> Oh, I forgot we were talking about that. Yeah, good God. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, Love Island, Australia, it rivals the UK for me. And I love the UK. But they are very fascinating. I don't know why. It's just like, they're just so different than us. But anyway, it's on Hulu. Y'all watch it. Please, if y'all like Love Island, you will love Australia. I finally finished Twin Flames, like literally like an hour ago. That shit made me so mad. Have you finished it? No. Well, Love Island's on. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I've watched half of the first episode and I was like, wait, how did these people get so many people to follow them? I don't know because he's mean to them. Well, and I just know that they had like for their Facebook, it was like 30,000 people. And these people are paying you thousands of dollars. Right. Well, and then like there's this one part where all the coaches and stuff that get paid because it's a lot like Scientology where like you pay to take classes and then you have people who are like the coaches that help you, blah, blah, blah. Well, which is like a MLM. Yes. But all of the coaches were getting paid to be the coaches, but then they were also like funneling their money back in to take their courses, yada, yada, yada. And then the cult leaders, allegedly, uh, Jeff and Shalia, who this whole thing is about. Not their real names. It's not her real not name. Not her real name. I think yeah. that is his real name. But they're like, oh, by the way, we're actually going to take 50% now. And some people are like, I can't, like, I can't live off of this. Like, I'm going to have to get another job. But they like don't want them to have other jobs because they only want them to be part of this. Yeah. Y'all need to watch it. It's like, I don't even want to give anything away. Yeah. But what they do to people part of like the LGBTQIA community is fucked. Oh, shit. And yeah, it's, I just, you got to watch it. Okay. Because it really does only get worse as you get into it. Oh, God. Well, I will definitely watch it over this weekend. Oh, so I had one more thing about the cruise. Well, I think there were a few things that I had forgotten, but whatevs. But I wanted to say this kind of leads into something else. If you are an extra large pizza and you're scared about the dining situation, know that you can go. It'll be like at a time, like usually at like three o'clock, it'll have it where you can go to the maitre d' and say, hey, I want to know what kind of table we have. And if it's a booth, you can change it. Um, Just because I know that me, Tiffany and my sister, we're not going to fit in a booth all the time, like not going to do it. And so we did that. Well, we talked to the maitre d' and after that, he noticed me all the time. Of course. Right? When he had like set aside a special table for us 
And it was like right in the front. It was amazing. And that was our table. But that leads me to say, because Timony was like, you can never commit a crime. This random man Mm -hmm. is like, is the table fine? Like every time we would see him, is the table fine? You know? And it reminded me of when we went to eat Italian the other night. Yes. And Timony and Carrie were there because of course I was late. Like I literally had time. I went and got my nails done. Okay. So it was miscommunication on my part, but you were getting your wax and you were like, I'm going to go get my nails done. And I said, do I still need to come, like be there? And you said, yes, at 5.30. But I thought you meant come at 5.30. And so it was the whole thing. But anyway. So I get there and I order my drink. Tiffany gets there, orders her drink. We get the bread. We're hanging out. Continue. I come in and the waitress is like, I thought y'all looked familiar. This bitch arrives. (laughs) When I came in. I was like, damn, I've been here for like 20 minutes waiting on her ass. I don't know, but I think it's a curse and a blessing because if I have a doppelganger, which we know I do out there, they commit a crime, I'm fucked. True. I don't think y'all really look anything like anymore. Probably not, but I don't know. I haven't seen her in a long time. It was the hair more so. Well, and I was Tanner back then, mm-hmm. so and she was too, so um, The autoimmune fucked you, man. It really did. Well, you know who likes you anyway? Patreoners! Oh, I was going to say the guys I talked to on Snapchat. Oh my God. <laughs> that she's never going to meet. Okay. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Jules K. from North Carolina. Andrea L. from Pennsylvania. Shane B. from Ohio. Callie H. from Michigan. That's my coworker. Shout out, y'all. Karen A. from Iowa. Shailene D. from Florida. Melanie L. from California. California and Celeste L from North Carolina. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon and supporting us over there. And you know what? They're getting an extra bonus episode every single week. So if you're like, dang, I'm called up. I want more of these. Head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And we swear it's not a cult. We're not going to say, hey, you coach this person. We get 50% of it. No, we're not doing that. That's too much damn work. I'm going to be honest. I don't know math that well, okay? Y'all, before we get into this episode, we got to talk about Lumi. Every time Lumi is a sponsor of this podcast, it makes me giggle because of that one time I had that person tell me that I wasn't saying it correctly. And I was like, it's literally on the commercial. <laughs> like, I know that I'm saying it correctly. Yeah. As it's like spelled out phonetically for me. And I'm like, <laughs> told you so. <laughs> because uh, I love Lumi so much. It literally comes up in everyday conversations. All I can think about right now is because it's spelled like Lumi, like in the phonetics, how Carrie's saying it. And I was just thinking, pew, we, no, 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 because we have Lumi. Oh, my God. I mean, she's not wrong, but what is Lumi, though? Now that you know how to say it, Lumi is a whole body deodorant. And that is something to be thankful for this year. It was developed by an OBGYN who was like, dang, BO is not just an underarm thing. It is literally all over your body. So she decided to create a deodorant. And this deodorant is pH optimized so that it will block odor everywhere literally everywhere your cracks your folds your slits your bits (laughs) (laughs) but seriously it will block odor all day and control odor up to 72 hours i don't know about y'all but sometimes on the weekend a shower is just not in my forecast okay but i get to wear lumi and i smell like toasted coconut and it's good my hair different story But Lumi doesn't just mask odors. Lumi is formulated to stop odor before it even starts. Picture a pre-odorant. It's in its pre-era. 
It's baking soda and paraben-free, and like we said, pH balanced so that you are safe to use it below the belt. Also, just to say that it is clinically proven to control odor better than a shower with soap alone. And seriously, the scents are amazing. But if you're not a scented person, you can get unscented. I have them all. I have various scents, and the very first time I ever ordered Lumi for me, I got the solid sticks that were unscented. So now I can kind of use it all. If I'm like, oh, I want to smell toasted coconutty, use that. If I'm like, oh, I want to smell a little lavender or cucumber, just me. Well, because I know some people have, you know, signature scents with their perfumes and everything, and you don't want something combating that, don't worry. Lumi has the non-scented version, so you can have your signature scent, but still block that body odor. Right now, Lumi has a special offer for y'all. New customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack. By using the exclusive code CREEP. So what you got to do, go over to LumiDeodorant.com and use the promo code CREEP to get $5 off your starter pack. And even better, if you're a returning customer, i.e. me, you can get $5 off your next purchase of $30 or more. So same thing, use code CREEP at LumiDeodorant.com. Again, the starter pack is perfect for new customers who want to try out all the different offerings. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and then two free products of your choice and free shipping. So go to lumideodorant.com and enter code CREEP for $5 off your starter pack. Or if you're a returning customer, use code CREEP and you'll get $5 off your purchase of 30 or more. So you're going to get a stick of deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, and two free products such as like a body wash, deodorant wipes, and free shipping, you got to get into this. Head on over to Lumi Deodorant. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com and use promo code CREEP for $5 off your starter pack for new customers or $5 off your next purchase of $30 or more if you're a returning customer. All right, we're getting into my story. So picture it, Afghanistan 2009. This story is centered around eight Marines led by Sergeant Green, and then second in command is Corporal Lena, and then the rest were Lance Corporals, and their names were Hoyt, Diggs, Smith, Parker, Wilson, and Zolik. They all landed in the Helmand province, and it's a place called Operation Rock, or OP Rock. Now, it's a remote fortification, like Think middle of the desert, and it's basically this place, very isolated. And it's essentially, you know, a lookout point. So they were going to be there for 60 days, which reminds me of that show 60 Days In. And if you haven't watched that, it is classic TV because it's people who think they can, you know, oh, jail's easy, prison's easy, and they can last 60 days, but most of them don't. Except for these are soldiers who can't bow out. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. But that show has ruined me because anytime I hear 60 days, I'm like 60 days in. Anyway, so they're relieving British soldiers who are already at OP Rock. And when they get there, they notice that the British soldiers were more than ready to be gone. And, you know, I feel like it's common the last two or at least the last day of vacation, you're so ready to get home. You know, you can't even enjoy the last day because you're just like, I want to be home right now. But it seemed like just a bit more dramatic than that feeling. Maybe because they were at war? 
fucking vacation? Well, I'm just saying. Terrible analogy. You know what? She's still on her fucking cruise and these people are fighting a goddamn war. (laughs) So the U.S. Marines were like, yeah, this place gives off eerie vibes. And I mean, they're like, it's war. It's Afghanistan. Oh, now you understand it's war. (laughs) It's not going to feel like home. And to drive that point even further... They were not supplied with sleeping bags or cots. The soldiers were forced to sleep on the dirt, and the only protection they had were ghillie tins. So it was a rough time. They could understand the reason why these British soldiers looked so worse for wear, or so they thought. The one thing the British soldiers were leaving behind was a local dog named Ugly Betty. Donna, if something happens to this goddamn dog, don't even tell me. Just continue. Okay. So she was the only positive of Operation Rock. They were like, okay, yeah, we'll take good care of her. And Corporal Lena, the second in command, he was like, look, I've grown up around animals. I've taken care of dogs all my life. I will be the one to oversee her. Nothing's going to happen to her. Well, another thing the British soldiers said before they left They were like, hey, just an FYI, if you dig something up, just put it back where you got it. So the Marines were like, okay, they're just fucking with us because we're newbies. We're like going to be on high alert. You know, they're just joking, whatever. It didn't take long for the weird shit to happen. So night one, Lena was on lookout duty at the machine gun post when the observation post radio started making some weird sounds. Of course, it scared him because it was silent, and then the transmission comes through and it sounds like a dang spirit box on Ghost Adventures. But he didn't think anything was wrong. He just figured that base camp was trying to send a message. It wasn't coming in clearly. But when Lena was like, hey, base command, you know, star command, whatever. Star command, come in, star command. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> you don't remember that from uh, Toy Story? Oh, Yeah. They were like, nah, we didn't do anything over, over, you know, blah, 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 blah. So he was like, okay, no worries, you know. Well, it happened again. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? Because it did sound like English and it really didn't sound like any other language. So he was like, huh, let me pop in a fresh battery. Because, you know, he was just thinking, you know, when those old toys would, like, their batteries died and then they would make some weird fucking sounds, do weird things. He's like, that has to be it. And that seemed to fix the problem. So no harm, no foul. Fast forward a few days and the Marines were like, you know what? These trenches are not very deep or wide like that, you know, vacation Bible school song. Uh, We got to remedy that. And so they were like, you know, let's get down to business. To defeat the Hun. Thank you. Did you see me look at you? Because I was like, why is she not singing that? She always (laughs) sings that. So Lena was digging into the rock and he hit something hard. And when he looked at it, it was something metal and he likened it to an engineering stake. So he brushed it off and it revealed something that looked to be written in Russian. Now to us, that might sound weird, but Russian forces were in Afghanistan in the 1980s. So it really didn't alert them to find something like this. It was just leftover shit from that time. So they continued shoveling and digging and all the things. And they said that it was so hard because it was like digging into a rock. But as they continued, Wilson hit the rock just right. And it kind of collapsed inward, revealing a small hole. And in there, it was more stuff. And it was like they were motherfucking treasure hunters at this point. They just kept unearthing things. Like they had some pottery, some, you know, different shit that's like, what the 
fuck is going on? But then it turned sinister because they found a human bone. And one of them was like, yo, that's a damn femur bone. And that, you know, that would be the carry of the group to know that. But then I'd be like, no, that's humorous. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you write that down? I did. Anyway, Smith was the class clown of the group. And so he was like, hey, anyone want a bone? Hey, anyone want to make a wish? You know, use it as a wishbone. And then he was just kind of joking around with it like, ooh. Oh, Lord, he's you. Only more annoying, I feel like. (laughs) So they were like, dude, cut it out. Like, you know, it's fucking hot. We got to do shit. And that's literally a person's bone. Yeah. So like, maybe stop being toxic. (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, you know what? Let's just put it back where it was because, you know, those British soldiers said something like, let's just do it, you know? But every time they would dig deeper, they would uncover more bones. And one of them were like, are we Marines? Are we archaeologists today? Like, what the fuck is going on? But as they're uncovering these bones, they're like, oh, this is why the British didn't dig deeper because they're hitting bones. Like, what's going on? And essentially, they're in a mass grave. Another thing happened when Hoyt, who was the youngest on the team, he had just turned 20, was on lookout duty. He said that he was from the country, so he didn't mind the quiet, but this is a whole other level of stillness, like just complete silence. And when he was just kind of thinking about home and everything, he felt like someone was watching him. And so that made him even more on guard. Now, at this time, everyone else was asleep, but they didn't stay asleep for long because they were awoken by a blood-curdling scream cutting through that silent night. They all thought something had happened to one of their team. Maybe the Taliban had snuck in and taken one of them as prisoner And at this point, Ugly Betty is barking. So again, she was a good guard dog. And it wasn't just their imagination then. Like, Ugly Betty is hearing what they're hearing, and she's on high alert. Well, back on the lookout, Hoyt heard it too. And he thought someone had been, like, caught in their barricade of the razor wire that was around the post. And so he looked through his night vision binoculars, but saw nothing but stillness. Then suddenly, he saw movement. Something had moved in the distance right outside of their perimeter. Now again, same time, Wilson and Lena are armed and looking as well, but they can't really see anything. So Lena looks through his thermals and he's like, if someone's hiding in a bush or the brush, whatever, this will find them. Because again, it gives you the like the body heat and everything. And honestly, like how they're describing this It sounds like the most adrenaline pumping Where's Waldo ever. So they're trying to find this person who they clearly heard scream, but, you know, not trying to get shot at, not having a grenade thrown at them, all of that. It's just so much. But they were not able to see anything. The only thing that the thermals picked up was Ugly Betty. So they kind of questioned if Hoyt had really seen anything, you know, and he was like, yes, I saw it. And we all heard something. Right, like they literally are all awake because something woke them up yelling. Right, but I think too, they kind of thought, was that him screaming, thinking he had seen something? You know what I mean? So I don't know, but they couldn't find anything. And so eventually they all returned to their post and just chalked it up to their minds, playing tricks on them. And they were like, you know what? In the morning, we'll look for tracks and we'll just be certain if anything was out there or wasn't. But Lena and Parker, they did not find any tracks, no prints. It was like nothing had been there at all. And it wouldn't be long before something unexplainable happened again. Now, this time it was Zolik on watch. 
And he said he was just suffering. Like this had been so hard on him. He said it was so hot. Like you're not supposed to take off your helmet or anything. And he was like, right now I feel like my blood is boiling. Like I am so hot. And he was missing home. He was thinking about all the things he had to do. But suddenly he felt a chill come over him. And I feel like, you know, imagine the shiver that you feel when we say like someone walks over your grave, but he's like, okay, how the fuck am I cold? Because it's Satan's ass crack here. But that's when he felt something like breath against his face. And he heard something that sounded like Russian being whispered in his ear. So he turned around, but no one was there. Dead silent again. So he was like, fuck, did I just fall asleep or something? Like, was this a dream? Am I imagining shit out here? And he just kind of chalked it up to him being tired. But then a little bit later, still on his watch, something was crunching from up above, like someone was walking on top of the lookout. And honestly, at that point, Zolik wasn't thinking anything sinister because he thought it was Smith, again, the, you know, class clown, playing another practical joke on him or something like that. But Zolik didn't see anyone out there. So now all the hair on his body was standing on end. Because his spidey senses were tingling, something was not right here. The first thing he could brush off, but he knew he heard walking. And again, once could be a fluke. But now two things are happening. So Zolik took his gun and he scanned the area with the thermal scope. Nothing. But he couldn't just drop this feeling that he had, so he scanned the area again. And this time, he saw something in his scope. He said it was a figure, and it looked like a soldier with his fist, like, balled up in the air. So, Zolik was prepared to shoot, but then he was like, shit, it might be one of my team members. So, he was like, okay, I got to make sure it's not one of them. And so, he looked away a little bit because the moon was out. It was well lit enough that he could see, is it Taliban or is it, like, my brothers in arms? But when he looked back no one was there. And there's no way that someone could have got out of sight like completely that fast. So Zolik was really on edge because he felt that chill again out of nowhere. It was unexplainable. And really, he was the first to think something paranormal was going on, you know, something beyond their comprehension. When Hoyt arrived to relieve Zolik from his post, Zolik told him like everything that had happened But Hoyt was like, yeah, I was tired too. My mind played tricks on me. But like, that's all, dude, seriously. But Zolik could not shake it. And he was like, look, I didn't sign up to fight spirits. I'm dealing with all the other stress of war. I cannot deal with this. So he requested a transfer and it was granted. But obviously it wasn't like an immediate thing. And so he had to deal with the rest of the team being mad at him because now They're going to be down a man, and they were already scared about being outnumbered. There's only eight of them to fortify this one post. And also, they thought he was playing the, quote, crazy card just so he wouldn't, you know, have to hack it out there because, again, they're all miserable. And also, they were like, if he can't make it out here, I don't want him watching my back. Like, I can't trust him. So they kind of, like, isolated him. You know, they were being mean to him, but he was firm in his wish to transfer out. He felt, you know, like even more isolated at that place, lonely. He thought he might be going insane. About three days after Zolik had left OP Rock, Lena was out on lookout duty again at the machine gun post, and it was like 1.30 in the morning. Now, he heard Ugly Betty barking, and remember, she was a good lookout. 
she didn't bark just to bark. So she was alerting them of something or someone. So Lena looked through his night vision goggles to see what Ugly Betty was barking at, but he didn't see anything. So he's scanning and scanning and Ugly Betty is looking straight ahead and barking like she was not wavering from that position. When Lena swept the area again, he did see someone and he said his first thought was that it was a scout from the Taliban. He said that even though the figure was in the distance, he felt like it was staring straight at him and knew that he was staring straight back at him. He said it was super unnerving, but he was like, look, it's not close range. I need to double check. So he picked up his thermals again to scan for the body heat, but there was nothing, no one, no trace of anything. He couldn't believe it because he knew he had seen someone out there. So he switched back to the night visions and there it was, the figure. But this time, closer, much closer. It was like the person had traveled faster than humanly possible, like over a hundred meters closer in a matter of seconds. So Lena looked through his thermals again, but nothing. So he is at the height of anticipation, anxiety, like what is he and Ugly Betty seeing in the distance? But it's not really there, you know? And then he feels a double tap on his shoulder. So that was Sergeant Green's way of like letting him know like, hey, friendly person behind you, like going to talk to you, going to relieve you, whatever. So it was a double tap. And he felt that. So Lena turned around, but no one was there. So he's like, what the fuck is going on? He picked up his goggles again, and there is a figure right in front of him, like jump scare right in front of him, startling him. But when he put the goggles down, it was gone. No one was there. And he knew that he hadn't been making this up or seeing anything because, again, Ugly Betty was barking too. I cannot imagine. No, this gave me so much anxiety just thinking about this. But this part made Lena's heart sink because he's like, wait, I'm seeing something that I can't explain, feeling something I can't explain. So maybe Zolik had been right all along and, you know, we were hard on him, but he just kept this to himself and kind of waited to see if anyone else would have an experience because he was saying this doesn't get talked about in the army. Like you don't say, oh, I think I saw a ghost. Like it's something that that's the last option. Like, was it, you know, this? Was it that? Was it that? Okay, now it's supernatural. Like, we can't explain it. But they were Marines, right? Yeah. I said Army. I'm so sorry. But on day 39, Hoyt was on watch. And about 15 meters away, Smith was on watch as well. Hoyt hears some footsteps behind him. But no one's there. So Hoyt was like, okay, loose gravel falling, like, whatever. But then old trusted ugly Betty started growling, like showing her teeth kind of growling. And he only saw Ugly Betty. And then he also saw the other soldiers who were sleeping, but nothing else. So Hoyt called out to Smith and he was like, hey, do you see anything? Have you heard anything? And he hadn't. So Hoyt was like, okay, I'm just tired. Shake it off like Taylor Swift. But that's when he felt like someone was right next to him. And he felt breath on him, but no one was there. He said it was like his eyes were lying to him because every sense in his body was telling him that someone was there. So now fast forward another night and another experience. This time it was Wilson on watch at the machine gun post and he had that cold chill wrap around him out of nowhere and then he heard really faint voices like he couldn't make out if it was the wind or what but then it grew louder and louder and then it grew super loud like it was surrounding him 
And he could make out that it was Russian. He didn't know what they were saying, but he could hear that. And it got to where it was hurting Wilson's head. Like he didn't know what to do. He was extremely terrified because he was a skeptic before, but this experience turned him into a believer. Now, Wilson lasted all night at the post, but when he returned from duty that morning, he was like, look, something happened to me. And everyone was like, okay, yeah, like I've had shit happen to. Like they all kind of, you know, like, okay. And that's when they kind of learned, okay, this isn't heat exhaustion or anything like that. Like, yeah, we're all dealing with like this crappy assignment, but too many of us are having these experiences and we hadn't talked about it to each other really. And they're all the same. So the group tried to think of an explanation, but really couldn't. Like I said, they didn't go to, oh, it's a ghost. You know, they explored every option they could. And everyone kind of came to the conclusion, yeah, it's something paranormal. But Smith, he was like, oh my God, y'all are just being overly sensitive. The sun has fried your brain. But there wasn't anything they could do about it. So they just all acknowledged something weird was going on, but to go on with their duties and just count down to day 60 until they could leave. Yes, because unlike 60 days in, they're stuck there. Yes. They can't put the towel around their neck and get pulled out. (laughs) Right. Yes. Y'all, if y'all have not watched that show, seriously. Anyway, fast forward to day 59. So the last night at OP Rock. Now, they were all on edge because they were just so close to leaving, you know, this hellhole. So that's when Diggs alerted Lena that the radio was acting weird. And Lena remembered it, you know, his first night. And so he was like, oh, yeah, just replace the battery. Happened to me before. This fixed it. You know, yada, yada, yada. So they replaced the battery and instantly it was dead. So they were like, okay, weird, but what else? Maybe that one was just a fluke, you know? And they replaced it again and instantly it died. So in a matter of 10 minutes, both new batteries were drained. So they were like, okay, try the final battery, you know, whatever. Well, and it hadn't instantly died. So Lena was like, okay, cool. You know, it's good. He walked out of the comm center and Diggs was like, hey, this one's dead too. And so they had this satellite phone, but it wasn't really reliable like that. They needed their comms, not just that little phone. But that meant that they were here on their last night without any form of communication to the outside. So Wilson was again on duty and he was at the machine gun post. And he was just gearing up to have to endure another night of the whispers of the visions, but nothing had prepared him for what he was about to experience. Out of nowhere, the sounds of machine guns cut through the silence. But it wasn't just Wilson hearing this. Lena thought Wilson was doing the firing. So he got to the post, but saw he hadn't fired. Everyone was on edge. Everyone was hunkered down and they were depending on Wilson to be their lookout. And so they're screaming at him. Where's the gunfire coming from? Where are they shooting? Like, it's everywhere. Like, you're our eyes. And Wilson was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's too chaotic. Like, I can't see anything. And so he couldn't pinpoint anything. So they were just like all stuck there. And then they heard an RPG fly toward them. And so they just braced themselves. On their last night there, they were under attack. 
You know, and they had all prepared for the Taliban to overrun them. And they're just, you know, saying their last goodbyes in their heads, all the things. And then it went quiet. But they're like, this is war. People are reloading. They're plotting their next attack, you know. So they aren't like doing like the little hedgehog or whatever where they're not going to like, hey, is everything okay? They're staying hunkered down because it's like, you know, that's what the enemy wants you to do think you're safe, and then attack. But the next round never came. And so that next morning, they all looked, could not find any actual damage. The RPG hadn't landed. They couldn't find any trace of anyone being there. But they were like, you know what? This is our last fucking day. Like we survived. And they were so ready to go home that they didn't even mention it to the people that came. They just packed up and got ready for their relief to get there. And so if you think about how the British soldiers were and they were like, oh, God, like they look like they are ready to leave, like more so than anyone would normally be. Now they know, like if they had to endure any of this, no wonder they look like that. But it turns out that OP Rock was really more of a giant grave than an observation point. Because in the 1980s, when the Russians had attacked, they killed all of the Muhashidin who had been using OP rock as a hideout. But then the Taliban retook that area and they had snuck up and everyone who was on that rock, they beheaded. (gasps) So all of those Russian soldiers were like ritually killed. But then right after that, the U.S. took over and basically they buried a lot of Taliban soldiers in the ground. And I don't want to lie, but I think they said that they had bombed the area, which would make sense for the bones being scattered. But the story doesn't end there because the second in command, Lena, he thinks that whenever they uncovered those bones, they essentially awoke something which he believes was a curse. Shortly after this, Lance Corporal Smith, you know, the class clown, he was killed by a rogue bullet on a secured base. And they're like, the odds of this happening are so tiny. Like you will get struck by lightning before this happens. Like it's not heard of, but it happened. And then Lance Corporal Parker, he was killed in action on patrol. And they were saying like it was just a routine patrol and it went sideways. Like there's no reason for it to have happened, but it just happened. Then Lance Corporal Diggs, he was killed in an IED blast. And then shortly after, Sergeant Green, the one who was in charge, he suffered severe facial injuries from an IED blast as well. And they're like, yeah, we're in the Marines and everything. But like, it was just that it was so like sequential to these people. And it's like out of eight people, four survived. Yeah. And one had left midway through, you know, he couldn't take it. And the surviving team, they're just hoping the curse is over. But they're like, I fear that it's final destination. And we're just biding our time until they meet their demise from OP Rock. So I wanted to say this was on Paranormal Witness on Peacock, season four, episode 12 called Beneath the Rock. But then also Observation Point Rock was written on the No Sleep thread of Reddit, and it is from Zolik's point of view. And then there's multiple articles that I use that are all about this and just how a lot of other Marines and soldiers have said like they've had the same experience as these eight and, you know, like something is there. 
I will say watching this and seeing them talk about it and like they still look so young, but knowing like Hoyt was, he had just turned 20 while they were at OP Rock, you know? And it's like, that's just so much on someone so young. And even uh, Lena, who was second in command, he was like, it's so hard being in charge of these people's lives. Like, I make one mistake and they pay for it, you know, and in turn he pays for it, but like they pay for it with their life. And I was just thinking, like, we all know, like, obviously, apparently I don't since I said war was like vacation, but that's not what I meant. But it's just something else to see it told through the people who experience it. And I know that I do have a friend, one of the guys I talk to. Um, but he suffers from PTSD really badly. And like, and he really feels like he went to war like way too soon. Yeah. And it just breaks my heart. Like, I don't know. It just breaks my heart. I don't know that you can really ever prepare for that, though. No. But we're thankful for the people who go through that to protect us. And Yes. So if you're listening and you're a service member, thank you for your service. Yes. Thank you so much. I mean, this story without the paranormal aspect would still be scary as fucking shit. Well, I was thinking about that when you were talking about just the positions that they were taking. Like, okay, it was his turn. He was getting on the machine gun and all that. I'm like, It's just so serious. Like, you know, when you really stop and think about it, because you hear stuff on the news and all of that, but it's like, these people are literally putting it all on the line, staying up all night to watch to make sure something is safe. And I I don't know, it's just mind boggling the things that they do on a daily basis. It's like just part of their jobs. Yeah. So like Carrie said, we are very thankful for everyone in the service. And honestly, their families that go through it all with them. Yeah. Well, just like Lena had said, like the guys under him pay the price, but he does too. But yeah, you're right. Like so do their families, his family, because he's taken that hard. You know, it's just so much. Well, even just while they're gone and all of that, like I always joked that I wanted someone that like worked offshore or something like that so that they could be gone half the time. And now that I have Colby, I'm like, no, like I want you home every single night. Like I could not imagine my spouse being gone for a year or more. Right. So, I mean, these people who are in and with a service member are incredibly strong. Like, I don't know how you do it. Girl, I've watched Army Wives. I know. Yeah, I'm sure that's a completely accurate depiction. (laughs) Y'all, did y'all ever watch that, though? Because it was so good. No, but I watched Jag. Remember that? Yep. Mm -hmm. That was a good show. It was. Wait, I think this same lady was in Jag. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we get into my story, we have to talk about Factor. Y'all, the holiday season is upon us, and that means you're cooking for all these other things. You are jam-packed with things that you got to do, places you got to go, and Factor is here to help. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Y'all, I have had Factor before, and I absolutely love it. And if you know me, you know I'm a picky eater. And, you know, sometimes I'm a picky eater and I never had one meal that went to waste because I love them all. And these aren't frozen meals. These are fresh. And so they can be ready in just two minutes. So it's amazing for the lazy people like me. With Factor, you can fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered directly to your door. And I'm telling you, it does not taste like you're eating anything diet-related. So good. It's so flavorful. And if you're like me and on your lunch break, you just want something fast so that you can scroll through TikTok or, you know, catch up with work, this is perfect because like Donna said, these meals are ready in just two minutes. 
And like I always say, they're delivered straight to your door and that's the best part. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. If you are trying to lose weight, they do have calorie smart meals. Then they have protein plus meals that are packed with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. But I'm telling you, you never feel like you are missing out on anything because the flavor is so good. And because this isn't frozen food, it tastes super fresh. And with the holidays coming up, when you're already doing all this cooking, you want to skip out on having to meal prep for your week. Well, with Factor, you can skip out on the stress of that meal prepping and choose from over 35 weekly flavor-packed, like Donna said, fresh, never-frozen meals that are yummy. Um, I don't want to meal prep anytime. I don't care if it's the holidays, if it's just a normal week. I don't want to do it. But Factor makes it easy because you just order, they're delivered, and then you heat them up. They have breakfast items such as apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites. Yum. That sounds like something I'm going to be. Can I have five? And they also offer some cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. So this November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes with no prep and no mess. So head on over to factormeals.com slash creep50 and use code creep50 to get 50% off. Y'all, I'm so excited that Factor is a sponsor because like I said, I have eaten their meals plenty of times and I'm so excited to introduce y'all to them. So head on over to factormeals.com slash creep50 and use code creep50 to get 50% off. I mean, you can't beat that 50% and it's delivered to your door. Head on over to factor, that's F-A-C-T-O-R meals.com slash creep50 and use code creep50 to get 50% off your order. If a picky eater like me loves it, you know it's good. Okay, for my story, we're going back to the 80s. Picture it, March 22nd, 1980. There's a guy named Howard Witkin. Now, Howard had some plans with some friends where he was supposed to get together with them on the weekend, and he didn't show up. So his friends were like, oh no, something's wrong. What's going on with Howard? We got to go check it out and make sure he's okay. When the friends start walking up to the house, they see blood and they're like, not good. Then they see bullet holes in the front door. So the friends go to the neighbor's house because, you know, 1980, no cell phones, and call the police. Now, did I tell you where we are? We're in Santa Clara, California. So the police get there pretty quickly, but there's no sign of any forced entry or anything like that. So the police actually have to break the door down to like get in. I'm like, no forced entry. There are bullet holes, but I get what you mean. And when they get inside, they find Howard's body. Now, who is Howard? Howard was born in Santa Clara and was part of like the upper middle class, maybe even more upper than middle class. He went to college, but really had more fun in college than college. But his goal was to one day run his family business, which was glass making. He was super fun to be around and everybody loved him. Well, I'm sure he's rich. He likes to have fun, has like no care in the world. Like precisely. Well, in 1968, Howard meets a woman. She's beautiful. She's everything that you think that someone like Howard would be into. Her name is Judith, but she goes by Judy. Judy grew up in Detroit. She was definitely more upper class than middle class. Like the lady had a bowling alley in her basements. She just had the one basement, but either way, she had a bowling alley in it. (laughs) 
I was like, wait, what? <laughs> How would a house have multiple basements? <laughs> oh, fucking no. One time I was watching this like show on TLC and they had put a bowling alley in one of the basements, but it didn't automatically do your pins. No, uh-uh. And I was like, there's no way I would use it once and the pins would just stay there. No, because you know, I don't like games like that or washers or cornhole because I get fucking heartburn bending over to pick that shit up. <laughs> so I literally would never play it again because I would be like, fuck, I'm a dragon right now breathing fire because I have the heartburn. Don't mind my gird over here. Is that why you have that cornhole game that's still in the box? That I got Colby for our anniversary that we've never played once? (laughs) Now, Judy had gotten into college in Oakland, California. But look, she was more, you know, as they say in the South, there to get her MRS degree, not her BS degree. That took me so long to catch on to when people were saying that because I was like, MRS, MRS. That really was her goal. She wanted a family. She wanted to get married. And when she and Howard met, he fell for her. Well, lucky her. Well, and he was who she wanted to be with, too, because she came from money. He came from money. And Howard was somebody that she wanted to be with because he came from money. She came from money. You know, worlds collide and you have rich babies. So the two got engaged very quickly and they were like the it couple. Like their whole engagement was this big to do, all the parties, like picture exactly what you think of, like page six, they're getting married. So lots of engagement parties, a huge wedding, and then their honeymoon was three weeks in Europe. Good Lord. I'm like, how do people have this much vacation time? I mean, they didn't work, but you get the point. I'm like, God, I want vacation time. When they got back from the honeymoon, Howard finished college and did exactly what he wanted to do. Started to work and run his dad's glass factory. Not long after they got married, Judy got exactly what she wanted and she became a mom when she gave birth to their baby boy. Now, unfortunately, she had a lot of issues getting pregnant after their first child. She had quite a few miscarriages and it was just really hard on her because she wanted such a large family and she was having such a hard time with that. But eventually they adopted a little girl named Marie. Random question, but do you think if you have multiple children who are girls, do you think one of them will have the middle name Marie? Well, I mean, literally, yes, because I have three sisters and one of my sisters is Marie. Me too. I think it depends on when you're born. Now, like if somebody our age had multiple girls, no. But if you did in the 80s, absolutely. Yeah. Just like you don't see a lot of like Jessica's and Jennifer's new babies, but our age, tons of them, you know? So the family was super involved at their local synagogue. They were just living their best life. But behind closed doors, a little different. Howard was still kind of that playboy, but so much playboy, I don't think, as much as, maybe that's not the right word. He still liked to have fun. He still was trying to be in his going out and young era, as Donna would say. So I'm picturing like Frank the Tank from old school. I have no idea what you're talking about, but sure. Okay. I've seen it maybe one time. But also I get really what you're talking about. Like, yeah, he wasn't like a playboy, but he wasn't growing up. He was still wanting to have his fun, no responsibilities, all of that and they had a lot of responsibilities. Exactly. He wanted to hang out with his friends, gamble, drink, have fun, do all the things and she's raising two kids and then she actually has a third kid and Howard's still out doing his thing and she's stuck at home with the kids. So while Howard's doing all of that, Judy continues to have the goings on at the temple occupy her time. Well, while she's at temple, she meets a guy named Bob Singer. Now, he was kind of everything that Howard wasn't. 
He was more of a businessman. He was married. He had three kids. He was like 14 years older than her. He had kind of lived out his wild days and was, you know, older, wiser, calmer, not out partying. Uh, But y'all are both married. Precisely. So the two kind of became this dynamic duo through the synagogue where they would do like fundraisers, all the things. So, you know, they're spending a lot of time together to plan these things, go to lunch, all of that. Well, by 1976, Judy and Bob began to have an affair. And it was not so much a secret. Like everybody kind of knew that they were having an affair. And it was the kind of big deal. Like it was the scandal of the season in the synagogue. Well, eventually in 1978, Judy and Howard got divorced divorced because of Bob. And then Bob and his wife got a divorce not long after that. And it just breaks my heart because now you have these two families. Both of them had three kids and those children, their worlds are completely destroyed and just like in a tornado because their parents had affairs that caused divorces. It's just not fucking fair. People just don't think about the impact of the things that they do that would have on their kids. Now, am I saying that they had the perfect life and maybe they would have ended up in divorce anyway because of the way Howard was and all of that? But I don't know. You get what I mean? Yes, because it was like, even you saying like he wasn't a playboy, he didn't have all the responsibilities and he wasn't that. But she literally went out and cheated on him and stuff, you know? Well, and I don't think that you should stay in a bad marriage for the sake of the kids. No. Also, factor in your family with you just wanting a different spouse. Or attention or whatever. And like, now, I literally know nothing about Bob. I don't even know his wife's name. I know nothing about their relationship, but I, in my head, that they just had this perfectly happy family and Judy kind of came in and then he started having the affair, which is just as much on him as it is Judy. So I'm not blaming Judy, but, you know, and then it just like messed this family up. I think that Judy and Howard would eventually ended up in divorce either way. But I don't know about Bob. And I just, I don't know. I just feel so sorry for Bob's wife. Like, she's just doing her thing. And then all of a sudden, her husband's having an affair. You know? Yeah. Eventually, Judy and Bob did get married, though. But because this was such a scandal, she was like, we can't live here anymore. Like, we've got to move. So they were living, like, in San Jose. And she was like, too many people know everything. And it's like, when they're walking in the synagogue together as their new blended family. And she was like, we got to move. So in 79... They move to Michigan because remember, Judy was originally from Detroit. When they got there, Bob actually bought in on a franchise of like this this local soup and sandwich shop. It was called the Onion Crock. I mean, I get what they're going for, but with me, I just be like, what a crock. I don't know why I just picture like a brown bowl with that onion soup. You know, with the things on the top? Yeah. I don't know why. It's very like, uh, give me French onion that you put on the top of the green bean casserole. Yeah. I don't know. It's Thanksgiving. I'm in my casserole era. So while they're living in Michigan and opening up a franchise and doing all the things, Howard is back in California, single, ready to mingle. He's having fun. He is, I mean, attractive and the women are flocking to him because he's got money. He's handsome. He's charming. He's literally all the things. Besides responsible. True. But now Howard's literally laying in his floor, murdered with gunshot wounds in his stomach and his arms. So what the hell happened? Because again, when police got there, the front door was locked. And there were some shots, like I said, going through the front door. And police were like, okay, well, this clearly isn't a robbery, but it seems planned. So what the fuck is going on? The best that the police can tell from the crime scene, because they found a 22 millimeter shell casing by the front door and the front gate. 
What police think happened was that somebody knocked on the door. And then as soon as they knocked, they ran back to the gate area. So when Howard came to the door, they fired and they hit him. But he had time to run back inside and close the door. And that's when they came up shooting through the door to shoot him. But again, why would anybody have wanted Howard dead? So they're canvassing the area and they're trying to figure out like, okay, who had all these gunshots? Like nobody called police. Like what's going on? And the neighbors were like, yeah, we just thought it was firecrackers. We didn't think anything of it. We had no idea it was gunshots. It was in March. But I mean, I just feel like you're in a neighborhood where you don't really hear gunshots very often. So your first thought isn't like, did somebody just get murdered? You know, you don't think that. Yeah. Now, like at my house, I hear gunshots all the time. Well, that's what I was going to say. Here in the South, I hear a gunshot and I'm like, oh, what's hunting season is it? Yeah. It's no big deal. But even still, though, you hear a gunshot and you don't think anything of it. Right. So it's the same as that. They just thought it was a firework and didn't report anything at all. Yeah. And when it comes Christmas, it's going to be guns everywhere. Oh, tomorrow? Because we are just now into gun season of deer hunting tomorrow is gonna be a lot (laughs) tomorrow's thanksgiving if you want to know because y'all are like what's tomorrow but behind the fourth wall we're recording it on wednesday night but i always think it's so funny because on christmas day it's always a lot of gunshots because someone's got a new gun you know yeah now one of the neighbors did notice this car that they thought was kind of weird that like it was just kind of out of place and so they did jot down a license plate number And it was a 1970 Chevy Malibu. So they ran the license plate, but it came back as nothing. Like, like it didn't exist. The license plate didn't exist. How that happened? Now, police did find a safe at Howard's house. And they had no way of opening it. So they had to like to the people who made the safe, essentially, and be like, hey, can you open this for us? And they did. And when they got it open, police found five or six ounces of cocaine and like 10 grand in cash. This opens up a whole gamut of possibilities as to what could have caused Howard's murder. It's like, is it a drug deal gone bad? Did he owe somebody money? Did somebody get ripped off? It literally could have been anything. So the police talk to Howard's dad and they're like, what the hell's going on? And he's like, there was what in his safe? His dad had no idea about the drugs, and he's like, I don't know who would want to do this. I mean, he was married, and then they got divorced, and he started living very much of a kind of a bachelor life after they got divorced, but then he kind of started missing his kids. And at this point, Judy and Bob had moved to Flint, Michigan, and had custody of the kids. But now Howard was really starting to miss him. And he was like, I really want some visitation with these kids. And so there was a court hearing scheduled. There was nothing between really him or Judy that would be like, well, this is a red flag. But the drugs really did surprise his dad. So the dad's like, I don't fucking know, but call Judy. I don't know. So they call Judy and Judy's like, I mean, sorry that happened to him, but like, I don't know anything. And I'm not really surprised about the cocaine. Um, She said, you know, basically that was kind of part of their issues was that he was doing some drugs. And she was like, that's why I didn't want the kids being around him because of the way he was living his life. And I didn't want them there because she said that people would constantly come up to the house to be like, you know, hey, can I have some drugs? And, you know, they would, well, however you do a drug deal. Now, Judy's like, I don't really know who he's partying with right now, but he used to hang out with this guy named Philip. So the police bring in Philip. And Philip's like, okay, so we do dabble in cocaine. But here's the thing we're not like drug dealers. We basically 
just sell a little bit to be able to afford our own drug use. Like they're not like huge drug dealers. They're just low level drug dealers who were selling drugs in order to support their own habit, not to become these huge, like, again, cartel level drug dealers. They're not doing that. So Philip's like, you know, he does have that girlfriend, Stephanie. So the police talk to Stephanie and she's super upset about it. And she says the only thing she can think of is that she does have an ex-boyfriend that was pretty jealous of her and Howard. But she's like, I mean, I don't know. Good God, everything connects to something else. Like, you know what I mean? Ugh. Now, she does tell police that the ex-boyfriend had a 22 caliber thing that would have, ma- like, I can't remember because it's 22 millimeter. And I don't know, honestly, is that the same as a caliber? I'm unsure. I don't really know guns that well. So the police go to the ex-boyfriend and he's like, no, I didn't do this. And actually, um, here's my gun if you want to test it. And so they actually went and tested the ballistics on his rifle and it did not match. And he even took and passed the polygraph. He was like, I had absolutely nothing to do with this. Anything else I can do to help you in this investigation? So they were like, oh, check. He didn't do this. I mean, could you imagine being like, someone thought I was so jealous that I would kill someone? No, here's my gun. Here's the thing. Like, no. Like, bitch, please. I mean, people do do that. I'm just saying like, if someone came to you and were like, hey, your ex said you were really jealous. Someone's murdered. Did you do it? Right. And he's like, I'm totally over her. What is she talking about? Exactly. Well, look, it's been 11 days at this point since Howard was murdered. The police have done all this checking with all these people who, like Donna said, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, and it's leading to nowhere. Well, on April 2nd, the Santa Clara Police Department gets a call, and it was completely unexpected. They get a call from Flint, Michigan, and the police department there says, hey, we have an informant, and he said that someone offered him money to come to Santa Clara and kill someone. Now that's a coincidence. Very much so. So the investigators go to Michigan and they talk to this guy who is a manager at a restaurant. And he's like, look, the owner that I work with, he said he's been trying to find a hitman to go out to California and kill somebody. He works at what a crock? What a crock. So at first, the manager is like, surely he's kidding. Who just is like, hey, can you um find me a hitman? So he was kind of like, okay, surely that's a joke. Well, a little while after that, he notices that one of the busboys all of a sudden has a lot of cash. And by the by, he, his name is Gary Oliver, and one of his friends, Andy Granger, had just come back from California. Oh, shit. So that's when the manager remembers his boss had a funeral to go to in California. And he started to put these pieces together. And so he calls police. Now, police find out that the manager was a manager at where? What a crock! And who owns that? Bob Singer. And he, if you don't remember, is married to Judy, who was Howard's ex-wife. So the police bring in Gary and Andy. Now, they talk to Gary first. And Gary's like, dude, I want an attorney. Like, I got nothing to say to you. Catch you on the flip side. Now, Andy is a little different. He starts talking and he tells police, okay, yeah, Gary said that Bob was looking for somebody to commit a murder for him and that together they were going to be able to split $10,000 if they do this. I mean, look, $10,000, I need that right now. 
but I would not kill someone for half of that. You know what I mean? It's right. just like, wow, what a price on a life, you know? Exactly. And how does that even come up? Like, hey, so my boss wants me to kill someone. But if you go half seas, we get the money. Right. And at this point, how many people know? Like, right. too many people, somebody's going to talk like, no. Well, first yeah. of all, don't kill anybody, period. Rule number one. <laughs> yeah. But number two, I mean, I don't know. His life was worth $10,000. So really 5000 because you each got five. So y'all were willing to kill someone, end someone's life for five grand. So Andy tells the police that they went to California in the 1970 Chevy Malibu. Oh, shit. That's why the license plate registered as nothing because police searched for it as a California license plate. Oh. And it wasn't a California license plate. Oh, gosh. Now, who takes a number down and, and doesn't, doesn't notice? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, like, damn. So they took Andy's 22 uh, rifle. Which is why I think it's not caliber. I think when it's rifle, it's like a 22 millimeter rifle. And like when it's a handgun, it's a caliber maybe. Also could have made that up completely. So the two set out on their merry way to kill Howard with a picture of him, an address, and a phone number so that they could use those things to identify him. Wow. Like you don't think someone would do that. Like, okay, give me a picture of him. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, if you gave someone a picture of my driver's license and me, my hair's longer now. I mean, we all know I look the same, but like people change. So true. And it's not social media time where you can see like a day by day thing. Right. Like what the fuck? Oh, I got this at Olin Mills. Let me send it to my ex-wife and her husband. Right. We were talking today at work about a fax came in with somebody's actual like face picture on the fax, like the therapist, not like not a patient's face, like the therapist's face. And my coworker Megan was like, oh, we could make a fax cover sheet with your face on it. And I was like, I'd take up that whole damn sheet. And um, she's like, oh, we can use the picture from our intranet of you. And it's the one on my badge. And I have braces in that picture. <laughs> I said, girl, look, we can't do that because I had a patient's kid tell me one time I'm ugly in that picture. We could not. <laughs> Damn. It's like a four-year-old was like, that's you? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you're ugly in that picture. <laughs> Damn. I mean, people just be saying shit. But anyway, so Andy tells police that they parked a, like a block or so away. Eric got out to be able to put the rifle down his pants leg and go to the house. He said that... Howard stepped out onto the front step to see who it was. They shot it. I mean, exactly how police thought it happened. Andy explains that that's what happened. He said, Gary, rush back to the car and they drove away. Well, while Andy's telling the police all of this, apparently Gary could hear what Andy was saying in the next room because the walls were paper thin. And he probably talked as uh, quiet as I do. Right. So Gary was like, all right, it's my turn. And Gary says, yes, Bob tried for weeks to find someone to kill Howard. Bob was like, oh, woe is me to Gary. I've been trying to find a murderer and nobody wants to do it. Gary was like, oh, I'll do it. So the plan was Gary was going to be the one to shoot Howard. But as they started making their way downtown and across the country, he started getting cold feet and was like, I can't do this. And so he was like, let's turn around. And Andy was like, no, we're already on here. Like, come on, we're going to do this. So according to Gary, Andy pulled the trigger. So of course, they're pointing fingers at each other at this time. But I mean, you both were there. So it's a moot point. However, the police did go to Andy and was like, hey, Gary actually said it was you. And Andy was like, all right, all right. It, okay. Okay, it was me. 
He said that he walked up to the house, again, exactly how I told you, and Howard came out, he shot him, Howard ran back in, and he's shooting at him through the door. So now it's time for the police to bring Bob in. They subpoena all of his financial records and find out that he's not doing well financially. So it would be financially beneficial to Bob if Howard were to die because Howard had a lot of money and that money would go to his kids, i.e. Judy's kids, i.e. his stepkids. So what you're telling me is that his restaurant was a crop. Precisely. Okay. So the police arrest Bob and he's like not talking at all. Now, this actually goes to trial for Bob and Andy. Gary's like, fuck off. I'm turning state's witness. I'm telling all the shiz on y'all. Well, Bob hires this very fancy schmancy lawyer from Beverly Hills and it brings like all the press, all the things. This was a big deal. So when they go to trial, they're like, Bob was broke. He wanted to kill Howard so that he could get the money. He was asking all these people to do it. But his attorney, Bill Melcher, was like, no, there was it was like drug related. That's why he was killed. It had to do with that. Had nothing to do with Bob or money. Why would these two people be like, yeah, it was us? Like, there's no way that they would know about the drug shit had Bob not had told them. Like, yeah, you're right. And Judy is very supportive of Bob. Like, she's there at the trial all the time. And when it comes down to it, the jury does find Andy guilty of first-degree murder and sentences him to life in prison. But Bob's jury is a hung jury because, listen to this, one of the jurors was like, there's no way he did this. He is too nice looking. Oh, my God. Right. But it really does show you that the way that a defendant presents themselves in trial really has an impact on the jury. That's why they're not allowed to wear the jumpsuits from prison. They get put in regular clothes. That's why the Jody Arias of it went from this blonde, you know, with the makeup and all that to in trial, she had bangs and she had brown hair and she wore glasses because they were trying to make her look meek instead of sexy Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like that's truly does impact it. Well, in January of 82, they go back to trial. The second trial goes off without a hitch and Bob gets sentenced to life in prison without parole. But this is what was weird. Right after he gets sentenced, Old Bill Melcher, the moocher, and Judy, the wife, Bill was the attorney, they go have a press conference and they're like, so Judy's going to go to law school and she's going to join our firm. She's so brilliant. And we're going to write a book. We've already got movie people wanting to talk to us. Like, this is going to be great. AKA, my husband just went to prison. After Bob was convicted, though, Judy did divorce him, even though she was very supportive the whole time. I mean, she was like, I'm out. Well, two years after Bob was convicted, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. The attorney, Bill, so he had a secretary and she knew that she was about to get fired. So while Bill was away, she started going through his files and she found in a file that Judy and Bill had been having an affair. Oh my God, I almost said that when it was like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then she divorced Bob. Right. So in this file, she found love letters. It's like, oh, the way you caress, like all the gross stuff. Why would you keep that in a fucking file? Because he's an idiot. So the secretary copies all of this stuff and she ends up sending the copies to everybody, like media, prosecutors, everybody. Because that's like a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. That he was having an affair with the defendant's wife. 
So Bob found out about it in prison and was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is grounds for a new trial. Like, this is a big fucking deal. Because Bob already has another attorney at this point. So they're like, holy shit. I thought you were going to say that it was Judy's idea for everything to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So eventually a judge is like, yes, absolutely. He deserves a new trial. So a trial was set for December 1990. But this time, Bob's like, yeah, I don't really want to do the trial thing. I have some information. Oh, shit. And he says that, actually, this was all Judy's idea. Oh, my God, I told you. So Bob's like, Howard and Judy had issues. They fought over money. They fought over visitation. Like, it was not good. And she wanted him dead because she didn't want to split the custody with the kids and all of that. Because when he decided that he wanted custody of the three kids, like visitation, all that, she was like, absolutely, he has to die. Right. And then, of course, the money was a good thing, too. Oh, for sure. And Bob says that when he was arrested for it, that he and Judy agreed that he would take the fall so that Judy could be there for the kids and all of that, which was all fine and dandy until he found out that she was having an affair that whole time with his fucking attorney. Right. Man, Judy has just, like, used people for her own gain. Oh, absolutely. So Bob was like, I will absolutely testify against her. So he tells the police everything. He takes a polygraph. He tells them everything. So police try to set up a call between Bob and Judy to see if they could get her to make some sort of confession. So he calls her and he's like, man, they're trying to get me to roll over on you. And she's like, LOL, this is a trap. Like, She's not saying anything. She's not stupid because, I mean, I want to be like, was this completely out of the blue? Like, why would he just all of a sudden be like, boop, boop, boop. hey, so the police, uh, they think you had something to do with it and they want me to, to tell them. And I'm calling you on this recorded line in prison. Like, she ain't dumb. So eventually, because of like the plea deal, he pleads guilty to first degree murder and he's sentenced to life with the possibility of parole this time. So eventually the judge signs an arrest warrant for them to go arrest Judy. But when they go to arrest her, she's gone. Like, she is not at her apartment. So the police are like, oh, my God, she and her youngest son are literally nowhere to be found. Like, they're on the run. I mean, remember, they're in Michigan, so they're right there next to Canada. So they're like, oh, my God, is she fleeing to Canada? So they had, like, all hands on deck trying to find her. And then they get a call from her attorney. is like, no, 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 she's not going to Canada. She's not running. She just wants to do this on her own accord. So just wait a second, and she's going to come and turn herself in. Okay. But she actually does. She does come in and turn herself in. So was she really on the run? I don't actually know. But she goes to trial. Now, just like Bob said, he testifies against her. But it's not just Bob. There are multiple people that actually testify against her, including her daughter. Oh, shit. So Marie says that she kind of thought that maybe Judy had something to do with it. And that one time Marie and her fiance were like hanging out. Her fiance was like, let's prank call your mom. And she's like, no, no, no. And she was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So they prank called her. And he goes, like on the call to Judy, he was like, um, I know who you are and I know what you did. And she goes, what's it going to take? How much money do you want? Oh, my God. And the fiance was like, holy fuck, she did it. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. She clicked like, hey, like, holy fuck. She actually killed him and was going to pay this person off. Whoever was calling her, like thinking somebody was bribing her. Like, holy fuck. So she testified to that. And then Bob's youngest son also testified. 
He said that one time he heard Bob and Judy arguing, learning how to say that word. He heard them arguing from outside the door and he heard Judy distinctly say that I want him dead, Bob. I want him dead. So Judy, in all of her glory, takes the stand because she thinks that she is wonderful and impenetrable. Oh, does she? I think people want to be penetrated, Carrie. I think I didn't even say that word right. So why don't I try? But on August 4th of 1994, the jury reached a verdict. They convicted her of murder in the first degree with special circumstances. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. But that's not where the story ends. Oh my gosh. So years later, like 2011, the California prison systems were very overrun. Oh my God. And so the governor was like, okay, I'm going to commute some of the sentences that were life without parole to life with parole for offenders that what they're no harm to the public at this point is what he says. So in 2019, Judy's 71 years old at this point, and she has to go before the parole board. At this point, like she's in a wheelchair, she has lupus. They're like, she's elderly. She's never going to do anything. They're like, she is not a danger to society. And they actually grant her parole in October of 2019 after spending 25 years in prison. Now, Bob was released on parole in 2009, and he actually passed away in 2018. Andy is still in prison, and Gary, of course, is out because he pleaded to the lesser charge. But I found this one article, and it was talking about Judy was, like, wheelchair-bound and in poor health and all these things. And I don't know why, but I immediately thought of the Golden State Killer. Me too! How he would be, like, in his wheelchair, like this, you know, in court. And then, like, literally video footage of his prison cell showed him climbing on tables and bunk beds and stuff to, like, hang shit on his walls. Right. But it, she never, as far as, you know, Marie, the daughter and all of that, say, like, she's never admitted to anything or remorse or anything like that. And this quote that I got made me so angry because she said, I need to learn technology. I need to reestablish ties with people that I care about. Blah, 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 blah. I need to find a place to live. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I would like a job. I hope that I'm employable. Okay, if you're so ill, like, obviously, people in wheelchairs, people with lupus, all that can have jobs. Duh. But, like, if you're so ill and in such poor health that you deserve parole from your murder charge. Right. Why the fuck are you getting a fucking job? Right. Like, that, to me, summed up who she is. Mm -hmm. And she has not changed. She is not remorseful. She is everything that we knew her to be, and she's no fucking different. She just has gray hair now and can play a different part. Yes. Whereas before, she was like young and beautiful and all these things and could trick all these people. And now she's using her looks in a different way to her advantage to trick people that she is not harmful or not capable or all these things when, yes, she fucking is. It's all a farce. Yes. Fuck Judy. Yeah, I don't like Judy. Um, This was on an episode of Snapped, which obviously I wasn't going to tell y'all that because y'all be knowing shit when I say that. It was on season 27, episode four. But then some stuff says episode five. So y'all know how Snapped goes. All those episodes of like stuff like Forensic Files, um, I Survived, all of those, it'll say different seasons and episodes on different things. Well, that's the story. Wow. That was a roller coaster. It really was. Like, you knew it was her, but then you didn't because, like, nothing came of it until, 
like 14 years later, you yeah. know? I just feel so sorry for their kids because Marie was on an episode and she was like, it's so not fair. And she called her Judy too. Wow. So I was like, ooh. But because Marie was old enough. I don't know exactly how old she was when she was adopted, but she was old enough to remember going to the attorney's office the day she got adopted. And like, you know, she's old enough to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. She was like, it's just so not fair that she gets to go and live her life now, and my dad doesn't. Yeah. She should never have gotten out. No. I understand overcrowding and all of that, but, like, let's let out some people, like, again, some low-level drug dealers or some shit like that that, I mean, not a fucking murderer. Right. And she was, like, the mastermind of it Mm -hmm. all. Yeah, so she clearly tricked, one, two, three, four, three people into murdering someone. So it's not like, oh, right, now she's, quote, like, feeble and in a wheelchair and all that well she didn't use her brute strength the first time exactly she used her brain and she tricked these people so yeah that's shit i just don't understand how people just go to murder you know i mean obviously they think different than i do and all the things but like you know what i mean it's just like i don't want to deal with this i need him dead right it's like, oh, we're low on money. You know what we should do? We should kill my ex-husband. Yeah, like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, or it's like, I don't know. No, but I'm with you. That doesn't cross my brain. Like, I'm not like, oh, you know what? Right. Murder. That's what we should do. Literally never. No. And again, there were just so many people involved. Someone is going to talk. Yeah. You've got... People that you have no ties to other than they work for you. So it's not even like, oh, this is my family. They're not going to dime me out, blah, blah, blah. No, this is just people that work at a restaurant that you own. Like they owe you nothing. They have no ties to you other than their paycheck. So what makes you think that they're not going to tell on you? Mm-hmm. Wow. And you're giving them $5,000. That's going to last them a week. Like, they could easily spend $5,000 in a week. And then what? They're going to come to you for more money and more money and more money that you don't fucking have. Exactly. I mean, they buy a car and it's gone. They buy, a, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's gone. Quick. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think about these stories. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. It means the world to us. Don't forget that there are so many other ways that you can support us because we understand it's the holidays. Not everybody can afford Patreon. But again, there are other ways you can, you know, like the posts on the social media, follow us, write reviews. Well, like I say, all the things. And remember, creep it real and don't get scared. scared.